0: Coming to you from the heart of Silicon Valley,
1: this is Cuda Confidential,
0: the official podcast of the San Jose Barracuda, AHL affiliate of the San Jose Sharks. Now, here's your host, Nick Nolenberger. Hello, Barracuda fans, and welcome to another edition of Cuda Confidential. I'm Nick Nolenberger. In this episode, we'll recap San Jose's last three games in which they went 1-2 during a three-game homestand and we'll chat with the voice of the Orlando Solar Bears, Jesse Liebman, to check in on how some of the Sharks' prospects are doing in the ECHL. After a 3-2 come from behind shootout win on the road against the abbotsford canucks the barracuda returned back to the friendly confines of the sap center on wednesday to take on the bakersfield condors for just the second time this season at 313 at the opening period joecom blickfeld on the man advantage would give the barracuda an opening period lead zone so, tried to thread it rink wide jammed ahead here's a chance ready to the near side they score It's a power play goal for Joachim Pluckfeld. He's got his second goal of the year. Both have come on the man advantage. And the Barracuda strike early in the first period. The time of the goal at the 3, 13 mark. Just over two minutes later at 5-17, veteran captain Brad Malone would level the score for the Condors former Medicine Hat Tiger in the Western League. Here's a shot, big rebound, they score. Brad Malone, the captain, easy pick since it comes right off the pad of Sanchenko and Malone fires it in and we're tied at 1-1. Malone's got his sixth of the year. And just two minutes after that, Graham McPhee would give Bakersfield a 2-1 lead with his second goal over his last two games. 36-year-old from Prince Albert. Here's a shot, they score again. And just like that, the Condors have a 2-1 to one lead. This time it's Graham McPhee who has tallies in back-to-back games. And the Condors, just like that, are up by a tally. At 13:58, Cooper Marodi, who led the AHL in goals a season ago, would light the lamp for his sixth of the year to give the Condors a 3-1 lead in the first period. From the puck, and then Moroni gave him a little slash to the shin guard. That Malosh didn't like turnover, forced Moroni, and a great stop by Sachenko. It ends up in the back of the net. In the second, the Barracuda would go back onto the power play. And for the second time in the game, Joachim Blickfeld would find the twine to cut the lead down to 3-2. Line, one-timer by Gregor off the stick. Of L- William and in into the corner. Blickfeld now with it on the far half wall. To the point for Gregor. Back to the midpoint for Merkley. Right-handed shot. Blickfield. Shot. Scores. Blickfeld's got his second. And the Barracuda are back within one. It's a power play goal. Then at 16-24, Scott Reedy would manage to tie it up with his fifth of the year it back into his own end. Greger scoops the puck up. Greger hands off left side for Scott Reedy. Rolled along by Reedy. 3:44 remaining in this second period. 3-2 Bakersfield lead. Barrett could have two goals, both on the power play from Blickfeld. Here's a back hitter off the post. They score. Scott Reedy has leveled it at 3-3. Then at 11 9 Again, it was Reedy, lighting the lamp for his second of the game, marking the first time in his young career in which he scored twice. The goal at 11:09 of the third period would turn out to be the game winner, as the Barracuda would find a way to pick up a 4-3 win over the Condors. Zach Sachenko in his first action since late October, would pick up the win, turning aside 29 of the 32 Bakersfield shots he faced. Now Hobgawaks, he's got Reedy, he's got real estate down the wing, works in, he scores! Scott Reedy has given the Barracuda a 4-3 lead, he's got his second of the night. Looking to pick up three wins for the first time this season, the Barracuda turned their attention to the San Diego goals on Friday night at the SAP Center. Friday's game marked the first of four straight between the two clubs and the first on the eight-game season series. At 9.41 of the first, Brogan Rafferty of the goals gave San Diego a 1-0 lead. Both teams have had a power play opportunity now, and both have come up empty. Here comes Perot Leads San Diego and score a beautiful feet, Feathers one through, and trying to go between the legs was Rafferty. It ends up going off of a Barracuda player. I believe Gallant is in the net. Perot, a beautiful feed as he threads the needle. And I believe it was Brogan Rafferty who tried to go between his legs. The Tomash hurdle. Then at 17-10, veteran Ford Vinny Letteri would light the lamp to give San Diego a 2-0 lead. Goals into the offensive zone. Letteri down the wing. His shot scores. Sneaks through the wickets of Zach Sachenko. And Sachenko took a peek back. Couldn't believe it got past him. Not a real Overly hard shot by Letary, but... Then at 5'43", 19-year-old former first-rounder of the Ducks, Jacob Peltier, will give San Diego a 3-0 lead. Back to the point, near side for O'Regan, thrown in front, and they score. On his stomach was Sacheco, and that was like slow motion before it ends up going into the net. I believe it's going to be Jacob Perot's goal at 11 Nick Merkley in his first action in the AHL in over two weeks would get San Jose on the board to make it 3-1 with his third of the year at the 11:13 mark. Reaching for it was Nick Merkley. Now Hob will steer it up to the point. Wrist, Rister from the point. Here's a backhander. They score! Off the rebound. Finally, Nick Merkley. He's had some opportunities, but this time he cashes in. And the Barracuda are on the board with 8.47 remaining in the second period. Then at 16 12, Scott Reedy would make it three goals over a two game stretch with his seventh of the season to cut the lead down to one. Waits it out into the high slot. One timer by Nick Berkeley. Puck is loose. They score it's reedy he's got another one and the barracuda are within one it's a power play goal for scott reedy who's got his team leading seventh of the year less than two minutes later bryce kindop would push san diego's advantage back up to two but in 1927 Jaden holmgawaks would tap in his fourth of the year to cut the lead back down to one and now an outlet chance. Could be an opportunity for Holbrook. Little toe drag, stripped of the puck. Collecting Hol is Shomolevsky. Back in front. Holbrook scores. It comes to a 33 seconds remaining in the second period. And the Barracuda are back on the board. And they're back within one. In the third, the Barracuda would muster just four shots. And the goals would hold on for a 4-3 win. Less than 24 hours after San Jose was dealt a 4-3 loss by the San Diego goals, the two clubs would run it back for a one start as part of a Hockey Day in San Jose doubleheader. Again, San Diego would find a way to get an early lead. Nicholas Bruyard would wire one in from the point for his second of the year as the goals would take a 1-0 advantage at 9:19. No problem with throwing the weight around a little bit. There's a shot. Bruyard scores. Nicholas Bruyard from the left circle is able to snap one past the screen to Alexei Melnichuk. And the San Diego goals are on the board here in the first period. Time of the goal at the 9. 19 mark of the first. Then at 12-14, Greg Prince would make it 2-0 San Diego with his first of the year. Oh, will jam it free for O'Regan, shoved down to the ice, back to his feet. O'Regan trying to stick handle through a bevy of skates. Then it's turned over. It looked like it was a tripping play, and there's a chance score. And San Diego got away with one as Rasko was tripped up. No penalty on the play. and ends up in San Jose's net. In the second period, the Barracuda would go on to the power play. And again, it was Scott Reedy scoring his fourth goal over his last three games to cut the lead down to 2-1. Ryan Merkley will skate it up the right wing, thought about leaving it, now carries in, steps around the D-man, has some room, back in front, here's a chance, it's off the post, they score! I think that puck hit both posts before it made its way past the goal line, and guess who, it's Scott Reedy, he's got his team leading eighth of the year, he's got a three-game goal streak working, Four goals over his last three, and the Barracuda are back within one on Reedy's power play tally. Unfortunately, after that point, San Jose could not manage to tie the game up, and for the second straight day, San Diego would find themselves in the win column by just a single goal. On Monday morning, the Sharks recalled forward Scott Reedy, who made his NHL debut on Monday in a 2-1 win over the Carolina Hurricanes. Cuda Confidential will come back right after this short break. When we return, we'll be joined by the voice of the Orlando Solar Bears, Jesse Liebman. Now, back to the action. Barracuda Hockey continues now. Welcome back to Cuda Confidential. We are very pleased to be joined by a first-time guest, the voice of the Orlando Solar Bears, Jesse Liebman. Very gracious with his time to hop on and The reason why we bring on Jesse the Barracuda and Solar Bears, of course, not officially affiliated, but the Barracuda has sent what seems like more players to the ECHL than in recent memory. With all the COVID issues that the organization has dealt with, there's been some uh, major, major movement be- between the, the three leagues. But but Jesse, first of all, thank you for coming on. I really do appreciate it. I think fans will enjoy this conversation. But how are things going back on the East Coast?
1: Well, Nick, I appreciate you having me on, certainly. Uh, and on the East Coast, you know, it's uh, it's. Full grind uh, for the ECHL season. It was probably the shortest uh, off season I've ever had in my ten years of working in this league, uh, dating back to my time with the Ontario Reign when they were originally an ECHL operation. Uh, but even with uh, the delayed start of last season getting underway in late December. Uh, and then just falling short of the playoff spot, this was the shortest summer that I've ever had. It was, in my estimation, a little too short. But nevertheless, uh, you know, we're, we're, we hit the ground running uh, October 23rd with our home opener. And uh, it, it's, been a, it's been a fun start to the year so far. Right now, the team is 4-0 and at home, which is the first time that they've ever done that uh, in team history and, and now what is Orlando's 10th season of operation in the ECHL. Uh, So the group that's been assembled by Drake Barahowski and our associate coach, Jared Stahl. And in addition to the players that we've received both through the San Jose pipeline, as well as our our primary affiliate, the Tampa Bay lightning uh, it's made for a good combination uh, of roster uh, depth. and, And I think that's been a large key to our success so far.
0: So for fans who are not familiar the Solar Bears share the same facility with the NBA's Orlando Magic. And we all know Florida has become somewhat of a hockey state, given the fact you've got two NHL teams, multiple ECHL teams. And the game has been there now for almost three decades. When you look back at, at the Tampas and the Floridas, what type of support are you getting? What type of fan base do the Solar Bears have at this point, as you guys have kind of established your roots in that area, in the ECHL? But, you know, I know you guys do pretty well. You've got a big building, I Provide us a little bit of insight to, on the type of support you have in Orlando.
1: Well, I imagine it's somewhat similar for the Barracuda to what we experience here with the Solar Bears uh, you know, with in the sense that it is a major league facility for a minor league team. Not only do we share the building with the Magic, but we were actually purchased by them in the summer of 2017. Uh, So that has allowed for a little bit of a greater synergy, probably very similar to what you experienced with San Jose, albeit in this case, it's a a hockey team working with a basketball team. Um, But attendance-wise, it's been really successful. Uh, I think when the Solar Bears brand was reactivated, or as we say, it was brought out of hibernation back in 2012, uh, the original Solar Bears of the IHL, uh, or the old International Hockey League, did fairly well at the box office uh and we've seen kind of a continuation of that uh it, the style of hockey in the leagues are are you're comparing apples to oranges the IHL was essentially the the midway point i guess if you will between the american league in terms of development but also moving into a lot of major league markets uh and so you would see in the old IHL crowds of you know 9 10,000 that wouldn't be necessarily uncommon uh, until the IHL kind of collapsed under its own weight in the in the early 2000s uh, and bottomed out. But that being said, uh, with the Solar Bears here in the ECHL, we curtain off the upper deck uh, for most games. But our gen- general capacity uh, is about 9,049. Uh, we kind of scaled back some seating areas a few years ago to put in some more premium seating options along the glass uh, that were extremely popular. Uh, so originally, our, our regular configuration was about 95.55, but we we kind of reduced that. Uh, but there have been some instances where we've had to open up the upper upper bowl, uh, and, and that's allowed us to get an all-time attendance high just before the pandemic of uh, 11,318, uh, which was uh, our school day game. Uh, so uh, we had steadily kind of built that, uh, and certainly uh, with... Uh, the last year with COVID and everything, we weren't able to continue that. Uh, but the hope is that once uh, a lot of the school districts here in uh, in Orlando and the greater Orlando area uh, begin allowing for field trips and things of that nature, we'll be able to kind of return to to that program. Uh, but again, to to your point, uh, we've seen you know it's not uncommon for a Friday Saturday night where we'll draw between seven and nine thousand. Uh, and the the trick is, of course, sharing the building with a, a major league facility uh, in the magic. Uh, and of course last year with other than our games and the magic being played, there weren't any concerts or arena events taking place at the Amway center. Uh, consequently, they've kind of been trying to make up some ground, uh, on that this year and rebooking a lot of events that had to be postponed or canceled. So, uh, we're seeing, uh, fewer Friday and Saturday dates, but nonetheless, we're making, uh, extensive use of the, the ones that we are able to have on our schedule this year. And the building, are our tremendous partners, as are the Magic as well. Uh, so we we can't speak highly enough of them.
0: I want to talk about all the players that have been pinballing between the American League and the ECHL. Joe Garaffa just returned back to your team this morning. There's movement, what seems like every other day with, with our two clubs. We're constantly texting back and forth. Um, Kyle Topping, another guy who played for your team this year, Montana, Nabucci, has been back and forth between the two clubs. Cole Moberg, as well as Steve Pashtick, Jake McGrew, uh, Zach Amon. So there, there's lots and lots of players that are getting opportunities and valuable opportunities, in my opinion, at the ECHL level. We, we see it in the AHL quite often where a player is between the NHL and the AHL. They go to the NHL, they play sub eight minutes and they're playing on the fourth line and they're they're checking and grinding away. They come back to the American Hockey League, they're on the power play, they're playing, you know, north of 15 minutes, up to 20 sometimes. And they're getting really valuable opportunities and ice time they wouldn't get. Now, the same thing could be said in the ECHL for a lot of these guys. And we've seen it firsthand with players coming back up, whether it's Jake McGrew, whether it's Kyle Topping. And, you know, they played well, given the fact that they got good, valuable ice time in the ECHL with the Orlando Solar Bears. I mentioned that big group of players as a whole. How do you think they've fared with, with dealing with going up and going down and, and all that transpires between traveling cross country?
1: You know, I, I think the travel certainly is a unique wrinkle to, to the situation here with Orlando and with San Jose, but it's something that these guys are seem to have adapted pretty smoothly. Uh, and the great thing is is they have the endorsement or, or the support, I guess I should say, of, of the coaching staff here. I know, uh, for instance, Montana Onyabuchi, a player that's kind of yo-yoed a little bit already early on in the season going back and forth. Uh, but while he's been here, uh, I know the coaching staff has been thrilled with with what he has in terms of his potential. It's just simply a matter of, of getting players like him to realize and, and self actualize what they're capable of. Uh, but here in the ECHL, you talked about all, all the turnover. You know, it, it used to be the East Coast Hockey League. Now it's the orphan initialism, just ECHL. But quite honestly, you might as well call it the ever changing hockey league with with the roster turnover that that we've experienced so far this year and, and other teams in our league as well, uh, but w- with the San Jose players that have been assigned here to the Solar Bears, they fit in seamlessly uh, and, and they've certainly been welcomed with open arms.
0: Montana, I, I believe if memory serves me correct. He took about four or five cross country flights in the span of about a week and a half. I know he was reassigned. Uh, to the Barracuda at one point, and then he tested positive for COVID. So he sat around in a hotel for about a week and then was returned back to the ECHL. I'm sure it's been quite the experience for him, but given the fact that you're saying that he's been able to fit in and play some valuable minutes, I think that's, that's what it's all about. I think that's the goal of the organization when this unofficial relationship came to be about two years ago, when everybody on the team finally migrated to Orlando last year, halfway through the year with with some of the guys beginning in Allen. That that relationship, I think there's a reason behind the organization's working in symmetry, and, and it's given the fact that it's worked out well because. It is not an easy flight. It's not an easy uh, commute, if you will. The organization with the Sharks, of course, dealt with it for for decades with their AHL affiliate back east. Now things are much easier when you you just travel up the hall for for a recall. But um, we saw the impact of COVID-19 affect the Sharks and therefore affected the Barracuda and therefore affected, I'm sure, the Orlando Solar Bears. How was it dealing with all those players going up? How did the group fill the roster? Are you dipping into the, the SPHL? Where are you going to, to try to make sure you have enough players?
1: You know, it's funny. The last, uh, last season, we had, if I'm not mistaken, the fewest positive cases in the ECHL. Now, there were a few, to, to be fair, but we did a good job of, of working with our hospital partner at Advent Health and doing everything that we could to mitigate and follow protocols. Uh, to to mitigate the the spread and the development of COVID nineteen within our roster last year, uh, and we've kind of you know picked that up and, and continued along here this year. Uh, in instances where we've had to deal with some some recalls, I have to give all the credit in the world to the connections that our coaching staff have with you know all corners of the hockey universe. Uh, we were able to sign uh, Cannon Peeper. Uh, who had been with the expansion Iowa Heartlanders uh, and had been released after two games with them. He was sitting at home in, in Boston, Massachusetts. We brought him in. I think he scored about like four points within his like first several games, scored in his very first game on the road against the Norfolk Admirals. Uh, we've brought in Andrew McLean, a defenseman, who was playing with the Knoxville Ice Bears of the SPHL. He's fit in comfortably uh, in, the, in the games that he's managed to score to get into we were more scrambling for for goaltending i think that's the the one area where we, we were maybe uh you know white knuckling things a little bit uh with zach amon going up and then uh prior to that amir Miftahov, who was a nhl contracted uh goaltending prospect with the tampa bay lightning assigned to us initially at the start of the year during training camp but opening night for the syracuse crunch they were on the road in cleveland uh, and Max Legacy, the one A one B goaltender who was splitting time with uh, Hugo Alnafelt, another Lightning prospect for Syra- uh, playing for Syracuse. Uh, Maxime Legacy went down with a knee injury in the second period. We were playing our first preseason game uh, down in Astero, and of course, uh, this year I'm not traveling with the team, but I was watching the the feed of the game in in, uh, in Cleveland. And I immediately texted our head coach and general manager uh, Drake Berhowski. And I said, there's a good chance you're probably getting a call from lightning management during the intermission. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Amir was heading up to the, to Syracuse to join Syracuse the next day in Cleveland. Uh, and he's been there ever since uh, they've had a couple of goaltending injuries. Uh, we ended up signing Alex Dubo to an ECHL contract. He ended up getting a PTO with Syracuse when Hugo on went down with an injury. Um So we did make a trade with Fort Wayne to bring in a goaltender Stefanos Lekas. Uh, And then ironically enough, just earlier today, we actually completed a trade to send Stefanos to Wheeling. Now that we've gotten some other goaltending options uh, in place, we picked up Brad Barone who last year was in the ECHO with rapid city and Utah. Uh, So it's been a goaltending carousel for us right now, but uh, things have appeared to have stabilized, especially now that, uh, you know, Brad Barone just the other day had a 50 save effort, uh, against the Florida Everblades for us. One week after previously matching his career high of 42 saves, he just goes out the next week and then just exceeds it by eight additional saves. Uh, but now, of course, we have Zach Game back as well. So that should, you know, knock on wood, stabilize things in between the pipes for us.
0: We're talking to Jesse Liebman, the voice of the Orlando Solar Bears. I don't know if you deal with your your media notes, but that sounds like a nightmare, given the fact that you've got to update basically three to four bios every other day, it seems like.
1: Yeah. There's a lot. I have built a good system uh, using an Excel spreadsheet where I'm basically cutting and pasting into different worksheets within the same workbook. So there's one that doesn't get printed. There's one that does. So it's just a matter of transferring, thankfully, uh, because if I had to print and reprint, there probably would be instances where midday we're finding out about a, a transaction uh, but before game day. But uh, luckily, our, our coaching staff is is very transparent and you know it's always a, it, it's always good to, that we're able to maintain those lines of communication between between uh, each other as well. So it, it certainly helps and and keeps things pretty stable.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe the team is currently in Atlanta right now on the road. I, I, at least that's where Joe Gareffa was going to meet the team. Give us some insight for people who are unfamiliar. We've got the Pacific Division in the AHL, very heavy in California with multiple teams. We've got one up now in in Abbotsford, B.C., one in Vegas, one in Tucson. So it's generally on the western, you know, west coast of the United States on the western seaboard. Give us an idea of where Orlando is traveling. Who are some of your opponents? Are you traveling by air? Are you traveling by plane? How is the travel schedule shake out?
1: For the most part, it's by bus. Uh, We play in the ECHL South Division, which is currently a seven-team outfit. Uh, It's probably going to be slightly reconfigured next year uh, with an expansion team coming into the league uh, based out of Savannah, Georgia. Uh, The ownership of the Jacksonville Iceman is actually the ownership as well uh, for the team that is being put in Savannah. They're building the arena with the Oakview Group, which is the owner for the Seattle Kraken NHL franchise. Um no word yet as to what the affiliation would will ultimately be. Who who knows there? Uh, but uh right now the South, as it currently stands, consists of the three Florida teams, Orlando, the Florida Everblades based out of Astero, which is a suburb of the Fort Myers area, and then the Jacksonville Iceman. Uh following that, you've got uh two teams in S- the state of South Carolina, the Greenville Swamp Rabbits and the South Carolina Stingrays. Uh, and then, of course, there are the Atlanta Gladiators based in a uh, suburb of Atlanta uh, in Duluth, which is more Gwinnett County, about 40 minutes northeast, I would say, of downtown Atlanta. And then uh, finally, rounding things out, uh, kind of on an island unto themselves, but the Norfolk Admirals uh, based in Virginia. Uh, so typically we'll fly to Norfolk. Uh, we only had one uh, one plane trip to to Norfolk this year already. Um, so we got that out of the way, a little two game set. Then they're down here for, uh, I say six games, uh, in our barn, actually four games coming up this week, uh, after the team returns from Atlanta. Uh, but for the most part, it's primarily busing around, around that cluster of teams. Uh, we do have some out of conference or out of division games. Uh, the team goes up to Portland, Maine for a three game set against the Maine Mariners in January. Uh, and in December coming up, we've got uh, two games against the Allen Americans and one game against the Tulsa Oilers. So uh, probably flying to Dallas, bus from Allen to Tulsa and then either fly back to Dallas or bus back to Dallas and fly out of there with it being a big Southwest hub. Uh, or, you know, we're, we're still kind of finalizing some travel details. So maybe we'll fly out to Tulsa as well.
0: You mentioned all those different cities to travel to. You're not currently traveling with the team still dealing with everything that has gone on with COVID-19, but hopefully you'll get back on the road. But what's your favorite city? As you mentioned, all those, those towns that you go to, what's probably the best trip on that on that list?
1: I would have to say uh, any time that we have a chance to have an off day in North Charleston uh, when we play the South Carolina Stingrays, it's is great. Uh, downtown Charleston itself is maybe a 20-minute Uber ride, taxi ride. Uh, from typically where we stay at the Host Hotel, which is right by the North Charleston Coliseum. Uh, but there's just so much history in that city. You can spend hours getting lost, and the the food is top-notch. I mean, it, it's known as a, a great seafood city, uh, so you literally can throw a stone in any direction when you're in, north, in, in downtown Charleston uh, and... It's just tremendous. I would say the only comparable would be maybe Boston in terms of like quality seafood. Uh, but Charleston for me I think is is the probably one of my favorite travel destinations in the ECHL for sure.
0: We just actually hired somebody who worked for the South Carolina Stingrays, and she's still adjusting to the West Coast. But I think I think a little part of her heart still wishes that she was uh, living in that town, because I hear nothing nothing but good things. Well, uh, Jesse, we can't thank enough. Awesome stuff, man. It, it was cool to catch up. I think we should we should try to do this again uh, sometime soon. Um, but I know fans are curious. You know, these guys are going back to Orlando. Who are they playing? How is how is the setup? you know, what transpires in the ECHL. So thank you very much for the insight and best of luck as you continue along this season. We'll be uh, keeping an eye out on uh, how you guys are faring and continued, uh, continued success and continued uh, wins because you're off to a nice little start.
1: Absolutely. Thank you very much, Nick.
0: That's going to do it for this episode of Cuda Confidential. I'm Nick Nolenberger saying thanks for listening and so long until next time.